Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is SECQB on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you. Thanks for coming out today. This is tremendous. Do you know how easy this is for me? Welcome back, everybody, to SEC QB on the Believe Podcast Network. As always, we appreciate you guys tuning in. Taylor McCarg and Josh Booty here. Uh, another the short week last week, just four games to cover from last week. And we've also got former Auburn quarterback Jason Campbell joining us. Really fun interview with him and dealing with his uh, – had some, some power outages like most a lot of the South had, so working through some technical difficulties with that. But appreciate him joining us. Uh, but before we get started, the NFL season is in full swing. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. And here at SECQB, the picks are slowly improving. I know Josh had a pretty good week last week, but as we figure out a little more about these teams, I think we're honing in those picks a little bit. But uh, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well, which never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Well, Josh, how's it going? How, everything good? Awesome, man. I, I can't wait for this week's games. we got a couple of great matchups, of course. Uh, really looking forward to watching Arkansas at Texas A&M and LSU at Auburn. I, I think that's going to be a good matchup. The Mississippi State-Bama game could be a – could be an absolute torching by Bama, but um, last week's games were good. Several, several that uh, I thought went the way that I thought they were going to go, and some didn't. So uh, it's always fun. Middle of the season now, SEC schedule. We got ten games uh, of SEC matchups, ten weeks in a row for a lot of these teams, and uh, that aren't having games postponed. So this is pretty eventful stuff. It is. Last week, you know, we'll jump right into the recap. You know, I went went back and watched the tape on, on Bama and Tennessee and Bama 48, Tennessee 17. That one it really just felt like outclassed. The biggest thing that jumped out to me was up front on both sides of the ball. Alabama just dominated the, the line of scrimmage. Anything that, that stood out to you? Yeah, they were overmatched. I mean, Tennessee wants to be able to play with Alabama. They're probably a year or two away from actually playing with Alabama. I know Alabama's been wearing them out for for many, many years in a row now. And and what concerned me early on was that Waddle injury on the kick return to start the game. And, of course, the preseason All-American who was having an, a Heisman type of season, too, uh, for Alabama. I mean, they got three or four guys that could be up for the Heisman Trophy uh, this year, which is incredible. Their offensive unit's just amazing. But um, that, I thought, might play a role in the ball game. But then when John Meachie, 
uh, stepped up. Uh, they have Slade Bolden, a Louisiana kid. Of course, we all know who Devontae Smith is. He's a machine out wide. He's another Louisiana kid. Um, were spectacular. Michi had seven catches for 151 yards and, and made Mac Jones's day look very, very easy at, at quarterback. I mean, he's getting it to the right guy, and these guys are just making play after play after play and big gains. And and that was more the same against what they did this week at Tennessee, you know, uh, what they did last week against Tennessee. 48 points. Mac was almost perfect, 25 of 31, 387, 12 yards per attempt which is incredible. I mean, you can look at guys like Bo Nix that are averaging about five or six. He's averaging uh, 12 in the conference. And that, that, so that's really amazing. And, and uh, you know, they just – they took care of the football. Najee Harris was spectacular as well with three touchdowns. They, they just rocked and rolled. Yeah, Mac Jones looks like he's in total control of that offense. And obviously they're going to miss Jalen Waddell. That it's unfortunate that he's going to be out the rest of the season, it looks like. But I just don't see – it really does feel like Alabama and then everybody else in the conference right now, there doesn't feel like there's anybody else that's that's ultimately going to challenge them on the way to whatever this playoff is going to look like this year. But uh, moving on to a game that, you know, once Terry Wilson got hurt, I think it – Mm-hmm. It was not a shock to me that they struggled so badly on offense. Kentucky 10, Missouri 20, Kentucky on the road at, at Missouri. Defensive struggle on both sides. Uh, shout out Nick Bolton, uh, linebacker for Missouri. He was uh, all over the field and got a couple helmet mm-hmm. stickers and game balls around the country. But looks like we're going to see Joey Gatewood at quarterback for, for Kentucky next week. Uh, Terry Wilson still hasn't practiced to this point. But Missouri it re- was not a – overly exciting game. Kentucky had, I think they had like 130 or 140 something yards of total offense, just struggled once Terry Wilson was out. But anything else that that jumped out to you in that one? Yeah, I, th- I think Connor Basilek, the quarterback, had a decent day for Missouri, giving him a, a chance to win the ball game, and, and that's exactly what happened. He was 21 to 30, had over 200 yards pass, and they had the big running back, Larry Roundtree, number 34, with 37 carries, 37 carries for 126 yards. So uh, just a a great day for him, I guess, just toting the rock and being consistent on offense with the run game and just pounding it right at Kentucky. You mentioned Kentucky not doing much on offense, mustering up 145 yards, and that really, you know, played a huge role. Wilson, three of nine when he was in there, 35 yards. uh, Gatewood, one of four, 12 yards. You just can't win throwing the ball like that unless you're running for – you know, 300 yards plus a game in SEC action. You just can't. There's not a lot of offense there. And and uh, so their, their back was against the wall defensively. Missouri was able to hold on to the ball a lot. Time of possession was huge, and they just ran it right down their throat and, and scored a few times and, and won the ball game. Yeah, Missouri's still holding their own at two and two, and I think that was that was a big win for them, obviously, in Kentucky. That win over Tennessee, I was surprised to see them perform as, as poorly as they did. But when when QB1 goes down, we see it time and time again. That's how it goes. Speaking of QB1 going down and the opposite happening, South Carolina goes on the road to LSU. I actually picked South Carolina to win that game outright after their win over Auburn. And TJ Finley goes out and plays pretty sharp. I mean, 17 to 21 for 265 and two scores. I know he had an interception, but really efficient play out of a, a, a young guy that's stepping in in a backup role. And then on the other side, Colin Hill, to me, it feels like I know that he's a pretty accurate passer, but his mobility is pretty poor. He, he doesn't mm-hmm. move very well in the pocket. And if you can get after the quarterback at all, you can make 
South Carolina pretty one-dimensional. I agree. You know, they, they usually play good defense. We were able to score a lot of points on them, and we, we had the pick six. Ricks uh, picked off Colin Hill in the third quarter and, and ran it back for a 45-yard touchdown, which is a backbreaker, I thought, in the ballgame. We, we gained a ton of momentum when I say we LSU did. And, and you mentioned T.J. Finley, the freshman. He's 6'6", 240, 19-year-old kid. Uh, our offensive coordinator Steve, Steve Ensminger did a good job, I think, just getting him off to a good start with nice, nice short, sharp throws to the tight end, a couple slants. Uh, Terrace Marshall, the receiver for LSU, just been dynamic with nine touchdowns uh, thus far. And, and really, he had two in the game, but neither of them were thrown over 10 or 12 yards, and he took them the distance. And so, you know, that's a big advantage when you got playmakers on the outside that can make plays. We ran the ball. Uh, LSU ran the ball. I keep saying we, but LSU ran the ball really well, 276 yards rushing. And that gives a young quarterback a real chance to be successful because it sets up the pass in so many ways. P people don't understand how important it is to have a really nice balance or run game, uh, especially for a young quarterback. So I like that we had great drives and, and ran the ball and, and had some balance. And that, that was really the key to the game. LSU just scored at will. South Carolina missed three field goals, but that still wasn't going to win them that ball game. It was uh, LSU came to play and, and they needed to win like that. They did. It felt like LSU is figuring out their identity and, and they're playing with more sense of urgency. If you go back to week one, that week one loss to Mississippi State, it felt like there was some sort of a hangover. Like the guys that were still there from the national championship team almost were just going to roll out their helmets and, and beat Mississippi State. Mm -hmm. And it feels like now they're realizing, oh, wait, we've got to we've got to come ready to go each and every week. And it felt like there was a sense of urgency. And, and I would imagine they're going to, you, you'll see more of that as the season plays on. Uh, last one from last week, Auburn in, in a crazy finish over Ole Miss, back and forth game, uh, you know, more low scoring, even though still quite a bit of points, but more low scoring than I would have expected for these two. Uh, the, the thing that stands out to me, and I know that we typically talk quarterbacks, but I just feel for that Ole Miss defensive line unit and really their whole front seven, because a lot of times it's not an effort thing. I think some of those kids are playing hard, but when you inherit a new program and you're in a, a first year scheme, like they are right now with Lane Kiffin, their front seven is just about as bad as I've ever seen in the sec. I mean, they go the wrong direction every snap and the push yeah, goes the wrong way every snap and and if you can't get any pressure or get anybody with vertical pressure even in the run game it is hard to stop people it is it is and and you know they're i think they're a hundredth in total defense in the in the in college football or in the ncaa and and you know corral the quarterback at old miss a great I think he could be a really, really good player. And we were talking him up several weeks ago, but he's thrown eight picks in the last two games two games. And when you when you run your defense back out there, a defense that's already overmatched and you got to run them back out there that many more times because of, uh, you know, because of turnovers or lack of time of possession on offense, then it really puts them in a bind. So they're, you know, they're having to fight battles that they shouldn't have to fight half the time. You know, you got to go out there and play defense and stand your ground and, and uh, make some progress defensively. But when, when you've got that many turnovers happening and you're having to get off the bench and run right back out there after you've been out there, uh, you know, working your butt off, it plays a toll. And, and, and that's, that's been a big part of, uh, I guess, their, their recent woes on defense is just because of the turnovers they're having to run right back out there and try to defend grass, and it's tough. 
Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and just as we look to the standings right now, the East still feels not wide open. I still think it's Georgia is top of the, of the class in the East, but I think Florida could certainly beat that team. And I think Missouri even has a, has a chance there. They need some help, but the East feels more open. The West is obviously dominated by Alabama. And then if you're Texas A&M, if you go down the schedule for Texas A&M the rest of the way in, they're favored in every one of these games. They mm. should win out on paper. This is where if you're an, an Aggie fan, you hope that they're over that hurdle where there are no more letdowns. They played Bama tough in that in that first half early in the year and then just got worn down. But these games that they have coming up, I think there's a chance if Kellen Mond continues to play well that, that they go on a run and could see them as, as a one-loss team that would need mm-hmm. some help to, to win the West. But, um, well, that is our, our the recap for this past week. Again, short week with just four games. Uh, now transition over to you know, excited to have Jason Campbell join us this week. And we talk a, a few different things, we talk Bo Nix and, and ask him some questions at, on the quarterback position at the NFL level as well with Dwayne Haskins and Trevor Lawrence. But uh, right now is Jason Campbell. All right. We now welcome on former Auburn quarterback, 2004 SEC player of the year and was Auburn's quarterback for their undefeated season in 2004, Jason Campbell. Jason, how's it going, man? Fellas, doing pretty good. You know, can't can't complain besides, you know, having my power out for the last seven hours. And uh, I supposed to have guys over here painting this morning. They said they couldn't paint because they couldn't see because I didn't have power. So I don't know which one I'm mad at more that I had to sit around the house for another day and wait for them to paint. Or I don't have power to I can't I don't have Wi Fi. So I'm, I'm like I'm like the, I'm like these new day age kids right now. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the I'm the guy with without Wi Fi. I don't know what to do. You got to figure that tech out. You know, 2020 has been crazy <laughs> with the COVID and all these storms. It's, it's just unbelievable. And, uh, you know, the, we got a huge game this week, of course, with LSU Auburn. And we're glad we, we were able to get you on the podcast. Uh, Auburn home game gets LSU coming to the house. I know, uh, I know with Knicks and Chad Morris, the new offensive coordinator, I guess my first question would be, you know, are they on, are those guys really on the same page? And, uh, it seems like they've had some some really good drives and really good ball games, and then they then they regress a little bit and got to come back and try to go back to the drawing board and get their stuff together. And, and I know LSU's defense has been very vulnerable this year, so it might be a good week for them to uh, get on track. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, uh, Josh. When I think about this, uh, you know, the, the relationship between uh, Bo and Chad, uh, to me, you can see where they missed the spring together. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, situation of football is learned, as you know, is in the springtime, you're entailing the spring and in the summer, uh, you go through all these different situations, you have scrimmages and, and, you know, you put the, you go against the number ones versus number ones. And, and in that way, the new coach can kind of get a feel for, okay, how you think in certain situations, how you react. And unfortunately they hadn't been able to figure that out until the season started. And it almost cost us a few games. Uh, you know, it could have cost us the Arkansas game, uh, you know, which clearly was the lateral. You know, we spiked it behind us, and it could have cost us, uh, you know, last week in the, uh, in the old Miss game. Um, you know, we come up, we ball may have scraped the finger of 
of uh of shivers but at the same time those are just situational things that we're not doing really good at right now we're not getting out the field on defense on third downs which we've been a really great defensive third down team over the years we're haven't been converting a lot of third downs until last week we converted more last week so we've got to get to the point where i think they're trying to they're trying to figure out each other and i think after the south carolina debacle a little bit with you know, with arguments going on the sideline, I think you could see kind of like the frustration because there were big expectations for this football team. And the fact that, you know, they feel like they wasn't living up to what they're capable of, you know, you can see them the frustration begin. And I think last week was a big win for this team uh, to go to Ole Miss and, uh, you know, to beat a scratchy Ole Miss team. And, um, and heading to this LSU game is critical. And I think the thing that can help us in this game, LSU has been struggling against the run. Auburn defense has been struggling against the run. So something's got to give on Saturday. And, you know, we've been averaging over 200 yards rushing for the last three weeks. So I think that's our bread and butter now. That's what we're going to lean more on and then have Bo do more control passes like he did in the Ole Miss game, not asking him to do too much. Uh, so they're not turning the ball over and staying on schedule. So, you know, it's a big game this week, man. I, I honestly think it's going to come down to which quarterbacks protect the football the best and which defense can stand, which defensive front can stand stout against the run. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, just question for you. I mean, Gus Malzahn has obviously been there for, for a while. What's sort of the, what's the temperature like right now? I know it's a bit of a frustrating year, but it's also, like you mentioned, it's not a normal season with preparation. These guys didn't get spring ball and the normal summer workouts, but with this sort of slow start they're off to, what's the temperature like around the Auburn fan base with, with Gus and with this first year with Chad Morris and just the coaching staff in general? Well, you know, it's just tough. I think, you know, from an Auburn standpoint, you know, you know, people have been expecting just a little bit more um, just from the aspect that because we have been recruiting so well, you know, we've had some of the top 10 recruiting classes the last seven years. And, you know, Gus and his crew has done an outstanding job of bringing in guys. Now, you know, it's just how do we get those guys to to turn into the football players that they want them to be so that we can be that elite program year in and year out and you're not having these drop-off seasons and you're up and you're down, but you can stay consistently at a high level. And I think, you know, the fans are kind of, you know, me being in the radio business, I hear fans, they're kind of disgruntled. A lot of them are frustrated, um, you know, just because the expectations are there. And when you coach, it's just any coach, that you coach in the SEC or you play quarterback in the SEC, you always know, like, there's not real NFL teams in most of these cities and most of these states. And it magnifies that college team so much more. And when you're in a state where you're competing against Alabama every year and it's Alabama and Auburn in the Iron Bowl, you know, like, and they see that team over there just consistently staying on top, consistently staying on top each year, they're fighting for a championship. And then, you know, it seemed like we we're playing tug of war. You know, it's just like, and then you have a high salary as a head coach, the way that we're paying Gus, you know, the people just, you know, they just expect more. And I think he understands that as a coach, like you have to expect those high expectations when you're making the salaries that you're making and, and everything. I think people like him as a person. I think they, they really do. I think they just want to see more product on the football field be better. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of Malzahn's magic has been the run game. You mentioned it early. Uh, I think with the when you were answering my first question, but you know he does the speed sweeps. He mixes with that with downhill, hard nose running, and a, usually a mobile quarterback. And that's what you think of when you think of Auburn and some creativity and some of his play calls. Of course, with Chad being the play caller this year, it might look a little different. But from an overall talent standpoint, what do you think of this year's 
team on offense compared to maybe some of the past when you had some of those great running backs or, or uh, you know, great receivers or mobile quarterbacks, some of the, those offenses compared to this one? Yeah, because uh, you think the years that Gus said, even when we went to the national championship in 2013, uh, you know, we had a really good running quarterback and he could throw the ball, uh, you know, and Marshall. And, uh, you know, he was a great athlete. And then you look at Bo, you know, Bo is a, a really good athlete and uh, Bo can run and he can throw. So I think they have to get back to running that similar style offense. You know, they tried to do that similar with Stidham in 2017. Uh, we ended up making it to the SEC championship game. Of course, we didn't win that game or the bowl game, but, but we, we rode the back of Carry On, who plays for the Detroit Lions now. And now you have Tank Bisbee. So anytime he's had a primary running back and his, and, and his offense really does well in the run game. And here again, we have a primary running back in Tank Bisbee. You know, this kid has taken the league by storm. Um, you know, he runs the first two guys that hit him doesn't usually bring him down. It's the third or fourth or the fifth guy. That has to bring him down and this guy runs like uh like just a man amongst boys and and you know so you know he has really i think bought gus trust and bought chaz trust and you can see gus i think the first couple of weeks he stayed out of mm-hmm. he wasn't really into the offense he was in the special teams i could tell but the last three weeks <laughs> i can tell he's been in that meeting room he's been in the meeting room and he's been they've had gotten back to running the football and it looks like gus run plays and that mm-hmm. tells me that, yes, he's back involved within the offense and the run game. Now, he may let Chad have some of the pass game, but when we were throwing the ball, I thought, way too much early in the season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jason, I agree with you on – for Auburn's offense, their M.O. to me, going all the way back to Cam Newton, Gus feels most comfortable. You can just tell when he's got an athlete at quarterback. And, and I agree with you on the Jarrett Stidham era. It, it, they still were pretty successful with him, but it just feels like that offense hums when they've got a weapon at quarterback that can run the ball and, and throw the ball. Um, wanted to, to shift gears slightly. I know you cover now the Washington football team, which sounds so bizarre to say, but the Washington football <laughs> team with NBC. I thought, and Josh and I talked about this, I thought that pulling Dwayne Haskins as early as they did felt premature. I, I felt like if you spend first round capital on a guy that, that that's not enough time for evaluation, but you're obviously much more entrenched with that team. What were your thoughts on, on him getting pulled and sort of the direction that they're going in at the quarterback position? Yeah, I'm with you on that, Taylor. I think he definitely got pulled too soon uh, because, yeah, I think there, there was no OTAs. There was no mini camps uh, during the summer. And I thought this was the year they was calling a rebuilding year to see what they had in the quarterback position, see what they had in a lot of other positions. And when you look at this this division, you're like, well, shoot, why not just keep him in there? It's not like anybody blowing it out the water right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I felt like he played in a lot of those horror games up front. Like, his, you know, he played against Philly, played against Baltimore. He played against Cleveland in Cleveland. Um, you know, so he had a couple when he got down to playing against some of the easier teams, like the Giants and then the Cowboys, who are just absolutely a mess right now. I feel like these could have been the games that he would have learned from those harder games and really could have pursued in these these games right here. And then that way you would have got a, a full understanding of where he's at as a quarterback. And so it goes to tell me that maybe it's a little bit more Rivera just saying, hey, this is not my guy. You know, I've seen enough in practice. I've seen enough in the first couple of games. And maybe I got my eye on someone that's in the draft for next year and, and everything. But then he says he's not. And then he says, like, 
I'm behind the kid. I want to give him an equal opportunity to do mm-hmm. everything he needs to do. So I'm just like, there's a disconnect. There's missed signals. Like you're you're saying one thing, but you're doing a whole nother thing, and uh, and everything. And I'm just like, this kid was a top 15 draft pick. I like last year when he played, he came in a horrible situation. I said the coach was fired. It was total chaos. I said, and this year you only give him four games, and then all of a sudden you move from him. And so it tells maybe it's something away from the football field that we don't mm-hmm. think. Maybe it's the heart of the game, or maybe it's mature or something. I don't know. But to me, it sounds like it is bigger than what's going on on the football field and uh, and everything. Because I didn't see much between what Cal Allen was doing and what Haskins was doing from a standpoint of the play calling and everything now i do mm-hmm. see like from the standpoint where you hear the players talk about Allen, they talk a little bit more about like you know he's in he's into it he's mature about it he's did so it tells me like i guess they're trying to say you know maybe haskins had ohio state and you know so he's still learning how to be a starter yeah, that's a lot of pressure yeah yeah well we talk about you know quarterbacks on this podcast all the time and that's what this show is all about and you know, that, that division is up for grabs, and it's hard to think you'd take a, a first-rounder uh, off his mark um, to be a successful player in the NFL at such an early age. And you talk about early age. Last year, Knicks started as a freshman for Auburn. This year, we're going to have T.J. Finley probably start against you guys. Mm-hmm. He started last week in that game against South Carolina for LSU, 19-year-old. Same with Knicks last year. Uh, you know, the emergence of the RPO and the spread and some of the things that the, the teams are doing now, even at the high school level, giving them, these guys a real chance to to come in and play early and feel comfortable in that situation. Last year's game uh, at Tiger Stadium uh, against Auburn, um, LSU game, LSU won 23 to 20. I thought it was the closest game all year. It was the closest game all year for the Tigers in their national championship run. And y'all had those great those two down linemen that were just fantastic. One thing that I wanted to ask you was uh, Nix's progression this year, his weekly progression. Do you think that he is going to end up having a really, really successful season uh, at that position uh, for, for Auburn this year, or, you know, is it going to be some of this hot and cold all year? Uh, I think for him, it's going to be a grinded out year. Um, And the reason I say that is because, you know, they didn't have that spring and that summer. Uh, to, to iron out a lot of things. So I think any time that you're doing it, well, you're having to do everything in season and you're seeing this across the NFL and across colleges where teams where the coaches have been joined to the hip for a long time, it's almost like they had missed the beat. You know, it's almost like they didn't, OTAs, minicamp didn't matter. When you think about Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, with, with Tomlin and, and Rosselberg, and you think about even Tennessee Titans, you know, Tannehill and their head coach, and then out in KC, you know, Mahomes and, and Derek Carr with, with Gruden. When you think about these guys have been matched with their coordinators now for more than two, three years, it's almost like they didn't miss a beat because they wasn't starting over. But when you think about in the college level, when you look at a guy from Texas A&M, who's playing better under Jimbo this year, you know, and they didn't have a same thing. They have a spring summer, but they've been together. And, you know, you, you think about Bo, yes, he was with Gus, but then Gus completely said he's giving the reins to Chad. So this is Chad Morris's offense. So it is a learning curve for him. And I do think so when that's happening, he are going, he's going to have some hiccups. Uh, in some of these games and these next five games, I think for him is critical because now we can say, okay, we're past the preseason point. We played five games. We got five games left. 
what's going to be our story? What, who, who are we going to be at the end of the year? You know, are we going to be a totally different football team than we were from the beginning of the year? Do we see progress? Do we see growth? And a lot of that is just going to be you have to accept criticism. You have to accept coaching. You got to be willing to listen. Like in high school, you know, he was one of the best athletes on the field probably. And, uh, and he was so used to getting out of the pocket and making plays because he could run, he could throw. And then you get to the college level and you come in and it's like, okay, everyone's kind of equal across the board a little bit you know, you feel like I still can make every play because I had a habit of doing it. But now you have to break old habits and understand, like, I don't have to make every play because the level of competition is a little bit different. I'm in college with a whole bunch of guys that were stars in high school. So how do I break these old habits so that they're not hurting us as a football team and not hurting me as a quarterback? And I think that's his biggest growth over the next five games is, can he continue to break these old habits he played well in the old Miss game. You know, he had the one throw across the middle deep that uh, Seth went and got. It kind of made you like, oh. But I think if he can break some of those old habits and everything, I think he has the opportunity to be a really good quarterback at Auburn. Yeah. Well, Jason, one more question, and we'll get you out of here. And I think Josh and I both, I think, agree on this. And I think most guys that have played the position and really at any level think this way. But there's this narrative right now around Trevor Lawrence and the Jets that – Mm-hmm. He, he, this quote this week, he, he had alluded before the year that this was his last year, but now that he's being asked midseason, he's sort of deferring the, you know, he's not really giving an answer. I think he'd be crazy not to come out. You saw Joe Burrow's signing bonus last year, $23 million. I can't see if you're the shoe in number one pick. I think you got to come out no matter what. Right. I don't care what's going on with the organization that's going to take you. What's your opinion on this? Yeah, my opinion, I'm just with you because the simple fact is you don't know what can happen the next year. Yep. Like you saw what happened to Dak Prescott. Uh, you know, he had to end up, you know, having that ugly injury, you know, and uh and everything. And, you know, you risked yourself out there on that one year franchise tag. And it's the same thing now with, with um with Trevor. You think about it like, okay, yes, people gonna be like, Man, don't go to the Jets and everything like this, but my whole thing is, yeah, you come back to your senior year at Clemson and just, just say, knock on wood, the inevitable happen. You have a serious injury. Like, guys don't really think in their head sometimes that it can happen to you. You know, you always, you know, but it can. It can happen to any one of us. You know, if you play in that position, like, you know, you think Dak thought that was going to happen? You think Alex Smith thought that was going to happen to him when it happened three years ago? Like, you don't know. So what you can control right now is, okay, you have a great season this year and you know you're the number one overall pick. There's no question in my mind. I'm coming out. I You like you can listen to to all the naysayers on TV and stuff talking about, oh, I, nah, I wouldn't go to the Jets. But you know what? What kid going to turn down $25 million yep. coming out of college and you have an opportunity to live your dream? You hopefully, the organization, don't want to be that bad a long time that they gonna go out and make trades and make pieces to try to put together and put around you so that you can become a, a winning football team again. But you can't control all that. But you can go ahead and come on out and go ahead and start your dream and don't worry about all that stuff. Cause I tell you what, there's a lot of bad football teams in the NFL because they are so impatient. And it's not just the Jets. There's a number of teams we can call. And I always tell guys, like, yeah, getting drafted, where you get drafted, it has a lot to do with your career and your success. That is true. But not a lot of guys get the opportunity to be the number one pick. Right. And when you're the number one pick, man, look at Joe Barrow. He just took the, by the, the bull by the horn. He said, all right, you know what? 
Cincinnati was terrible last year and the year before. I'm still going. And, look, he's still having success even with all the stuff going on. They record don't see it. But you look at him and say, okay, this kid going to have a chance to be a really good quarterback. They get the pieces around him. So he's a building block. So that's the same thing Trevor can go do. Go be the Jets. Go be a building block. If they end up being the number one pick, who knows? They may win two, three games and somebody else may end up being the number one pick. You don't know. Yeah, uh, right there with you. I think, again, anybody that's played the position and anybody that really has played it in college, you get a chance to be a first rounder, especially the number one overall. You're coming out. It doesn't matter where. But Jason, man, we appreciate it. Really appreciate you coming on and, and joining us. And uh, this is obviously a big one for for Auburn and LSU. So we'll be tuned into that. But can't thank you enough for coming on, man. No, I appreciate it, guys. Enjoy it. Okay, thanks again, Jason, for joining us. Always enjoy talking to him. Uh, a look ahead to we got a, a full slate again this week. Finally, get uh, six games upcoming, so it feels like a, a more normal slate. And we'll jump right into it. This one, I think, this line is is really impacted by the quarterback position for Kentucky. But Georgia at Kentucky, Georgia is at minus fifteen. What do you like? Man, I you know. <laughs> In the series, Georgia leads 59 to 12. I mean, they've dominated Kentucky through the years. Kirby Smart with the quarterback situation, he thinks Stetson's game is okay and improving some too in practice. Uh, Stetson Bennett's ninth in the FBS and QBR. Um, their defense doesn't give up many explosive plays. Uh, they did against Bama, but Bama is a different animal. I, I don't think Kentucky has the, the high-octane offense that they need. I know they don't uh, to be able to score with Georgia, and they don't have a passing attack, and I think Georgia's offense can get better. So I like Georgia in this game of uh, 15 over Kentucky just because Kentucky can't really move the ball offensively lately. I'm with you. I, I like Georgia as well, primarily because I, I don't know that Kentucky might not score in this game. So um... – I, I will go with Georgia as well. Uh, next one, your Bayou Bengals on the road at Auburn. LSU is favored, road favorites, which surprised me. LSU is minus three. What do you like there? I, actually, I like LSU because of last week's performance against South Carolina. South Carolina's not a bad football team. Auburn's a lot like South Carolina. They play decent defense. They're balanced. They try to do a few different things on offense. But, uh, you know, we were able to do some amazing things, especially our, our defensive back. I said Elias Riggs had the pick six. Trey Palmer goes 93 yards on a kickoff return. We're getting some plays are starting uh, some of our big play capability guys are starting to do do some really good things and then Finley has a game under his belt if he plays a quarterback for LSU because Brennan is hurt again and hadn't practiced so I like LSU's averaging 30 344 yards passing per game um, Auburn has actually got uh, has actually given up more points than they've scored this year I just think LSU can can go in there and beat them and continue to get a little bit better every week with all these young players. I like LSU in this game. Yeah, this line, uh, it scares me, and I don't like my pick that I'm about to make, but I'm going to go Auburn. I think uh, <laughs> big game, There's it doesn't matter, you know, what the situation, Any anytime Auburn plays LSU, there's obviously a lot of emotion, lot of emotion. and I think coming off of the win, closing out the way that they did against Ole Miss, that was sort of the boost they needed to get through the, the hump of losing to South Carolina – this was a big bounce back win. I think they either lose close by one or two, or they, you know, it's a push at minus three, or they outright win this game. But I'll go Auburn in that one. Um, Ole Miss on the road at Vandy. Ole Miss minus 16. Oh, you know, Ole Miss one, one and four worst defense, I think, in, in maybe in the country. We talked about it earlier. Uh, 
you know, Lane's offense is predicated on tempo. Corral can't turn the ball over. He's got the big arm. He's, he, he does a lot of good things. He cannot turn the ball over. I think, you know, uh, Vandy's had back-to-back bye week so because of the COVID, so that gives him a little bit of a chance, I think, to get ready for this game. But they've only scored 26 points all year offensively. So, uh, you know, smart Mason, uh, he's got to – got to play smart football. Uh, the head coach, Mason, they got to play smart football is what he said this week in his press conference. they got to tackle well in space against Ole Miss because Ole Miss will spread this field out and, and go all over, over the place with the football. So, Vandy's going to have to do a good job just kind of hemming Ole Miss in offensively, but I, I like Ole Miss in this game. I, I do. I think they'll score enough to uh, to beat Vandy and to cover the spread. Yeah, I, I'm taking Ole Miss as well, primarily because I don't think Vandy can score. Similar to the, my, my pick with Kentucky, mm-hmm. even against this horrible defense, Ole Miss is going to put up a bunch of points like they do every week. I don't think Vandy can keep up to keep this within three touchdowns, so I'm, I'm going Ole Miss as well. Uh, this is as big a line as I've ever seen in the SEC, Mississippi State on the road at Bama. Bama is 30-and-a-half-point favorites. It's unbelievable. I mean, Bama scored 242 points, and it's five ball games, of course, 5-0. and oh. It's 70 more points than anybody else in the conference. Uh, Mississippi State scored 74 uh, in comparison. I mean, last year in Starkville, and this game's in Tuscaloosa, but last year in Starkville, Bama won by 31. So that kind of indicates why that spreads up there at 30 and a half. I mean, I just – Alabama scoring 48 points a game compared to 18 for Mississippi State. The, again, that line's 30, and they're averaging 30 more points on offense. So I, I, Alabama's just way too good offensively, and they're getting better defensively. And Saban's going to make sure that defense grows and grows and grows and then grows up to to be able to be a team that can win a national championship. So I, I, I don't know if Bama's going to cover the 30 Mississippi State Maybe if they get if they get some uh, good offense out of this quarterback this week, but or KJ Costello. But I, I don't know. I, if I had to if I had to bet on it, I'd say Bama wins by forty five. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm going Bama as well because I don't think they can be stopped. And and Mississippi State is actually playing pretty good defense, but they have turned the ball over a ton, and it's been sloppy turnovers. I mean, really bad interceptions from Costello. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be short fields. I think you're going to give Bama the opportunity to either run something back on their own, or you're going to get a short field, short field touchdowns from Bama. I'm with you. I think this is a a win in the 40 plus range. I can't believe I'm taking a 30 point favorite in conference, but um, this one is, is an interesting line. If you, Arkansas is on the road at A&M minus 12. If you think about Arkansas and, and Auburn, if, that bounce, if that spike is ruled a fumble like it should have been, Arkansas mm-hmm. wins that game. They're three and one, and they're probably ranked. Instead, they're two and two, and they're not ranked on the road at AM. AM minus 12 and a half. Who do you, who do you like? Yeah, I, you know, the AM's defense is vulnerable. They've given up more points than they've scored two, a little bit like Auburn, but they've got the three and one record. They sit three and one, which is nice. Um, Arkansas. You know, they're, they're not a big offensive team, 92 points total uh, on the season. Uh, A&M can score points. I like Jimbo at home. I think less than two touchdowns against a team that they've, they've been brutalizing over the last few years. I mean, I like A&M to continue with the success, play a little bit better defensively. 
they've probably been emphasizing defense and and are going to be better uh, in the long run because of it. I, I like Texas A&M minus 12. I go with the favorite again. Arkansas could play them close, but I, I just think A&M's got the balance now that they need uh, that, that they can play well against really anybody. Yeah, you just said it, so I'm going to piggyback off of it. I, I'm going to go the opposite direction because I think Arkansas will play them close. I think A&M wins this game, and they might win by 10 points. It might be a two-score game. But this Arkansas team feels – it feels like it's hard to blow them out. Like, I, I see them being in every game in the third and fourth quarter, especially against an A&M team that struggles up front. I mean, and they, they gave up – they've given up quite a bit a couple times already this season. So – I'm going to go Arkansas in that game to keep it close. Still like A&M to win the game. Uh, last one to close it out, Missouri on the road at Florida. Florida is minus 13, favored by 13. Ooh, you know, Florida's only played three games this year. Their defense is not very good, uh, but their offense can really put points on the board. I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, you know, if, if they had fans in the stands and it was at Florida Field and they had, you know, 100,000 people there, I would say Florida minus 13 is, you know, I, I'd go Florida. I just think Missouri can play close in this game. Uh, they do give up a lot defensively, too. Missouri does. Uh, but they're, they're a well-rounded team. I, I just think it could be closer than 13 just because Florida doesn't play good defense at all and, and Missouri could keep it close. Yeah, I, I'm going the opposite direction on this one just because uh, – so I'm going to go Florida. Primarily, you watched the game last week against Kentucky. They did some things on offense, but not – I don't see them keeping up in a track meet with Florida if it turns into that. And they might when, – when I say keep it close, it might be within two scores, but I, I really do see Florida pulling away in this one. So I'll, I'll go Florida there. Uh, the, the picks are improving. I'm – Hover, I'm right at 500 on the year, and, and Josh is just a hair under 500. So for you uh, professional handicappers out there, give us a call if you need any help. Um, but again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. That was a, a fun interview with Jason Campbell. And again, got a, a full slate here, so there will be a lot to recap next week. But you can find us on all the, the normal platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Podcasts. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter as well at Josh Booty 10 and at T McCarg 16. Uh, give us a follow and at SECQB pod on Twitter as well. Um, and again, thank you guys for tuning in. We will be back next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E. AV on YouTube.